Hello, and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Today is a slightly unusual Sunday as well. We're, we're doing a thing called TEN Talks. Now, now if you are okay with the internet and stuff, you may have heard of TED Talks, and we've just shamelessly nicked it. Uh, and, uh, but we're calling it TED Talks. TED Talks are, are, are specialists, people who are passionate about a subject, a truth that's, that's true in their lives, and they share it, and, and they're very compelling talks. And what we, are, we, we, we totally know is that, that God doesn't just speak through the, the preacher up front. God actually speaks to every single one of us. And there's some real powerful God truths that, that he has impacted on your lives. And we as a church uh, want to sort of explore that a little bit and to give more opportunity um, to, to hear some of those truths. Um, but, but also to invest in some people who have, may have the gift of teaching in our church. So for two or three times a year, we're starting now, is we're going to have a thing called 10 Talk Sunday, um, where we invite some, uh, a couple of folks to come and do a 10-ish minute. So don't time them. If they go over, don't, don't, don't stone them or anything. Um, so it's roughly 10 minutes. And we're going to have, two, in the place of a long-winded me, is you're going to have two 10-minute talks of hearing a God truth and someone's going to communicate um, if this is, a, a, you, I'm thrilled to have uh, Jay McNulty and uh, Bev Price are going to be sharing uh, this morning. If this is something that, that you're going, do you know, I've got a truth and I'd love to share it, but, but standing on this pulpit seems a little bit scary. Um, chat with me. Let, let's see if this might be a, an entry point to be able to develop your gift a little bit more and to share the truth of what God is doing. So I want to start by inviting Jane up. So, so Jane, will you come and join me? I want to pray with you and then I'm going to hand over to you if that's okay. Bung your notes down there. And let me just pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for Jane, this woman of God, who you know and love as a daughter. Father, I want to thank you for what you've stirred in her heart, the words that she's put down, and, and the preparation you've invested in her for this morning. I pray that you may fill her, overflow, and touch our lives with your truths. Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, I just wanted to start by introducing myself because obviously many people do know me, but there's probably people here who are like, I have no idea who that woman is. So um, I'm Jane. I've actually been coming to this church for 14 years, which is a scary thought. Um, originally from North London, though, uh, I started out my career as a drama teacher and now teach six-year-olds. Um, my life experience, perhaps, or just my personality, doesn't sound very jolly when I tell you what I'm going to say next, but anyway, is that I've always been drawn to an interest in the effect of loss uh, and death on people's lives. And as a result of that, I am also a voluntary bereavement counsellor. That's something that I sort of um, decided to do. So on that jolly note, I shall start. And I want to talk today about hope. Not the unreachable kind that you say, I hope you have a nice day, or I, I hope that works out okay, the kind that kind of slips through your fingers like sand, but the hope that we're given in God, the hope in his promises, the hope in him, the hope that is integral to, the faith, to our faith, and as Christians is integral to who we are. The Bible talks a huge amount about hope. The Psalms are also one of my favorite, um, and I, I've got a few quotes from Psalms. One is from the Psalm 39. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. And then Psalm 41. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then Psalm 91, which I was quoting to my daughter Jess, who's just gone off traveling, because I used to sing. There's a, 
a chorus, which I'm sure you will all know, but I won't sing to you, that I used to repeatedly sing to myself when I went on my gap year. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then in kind of adding myself, in whom I put my hope. In Romans, we're told about Abraham and how in hope he believed against all hope, that he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises, the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do the thing that he had promised. And that's quite a different kind of hope because it's something specific that Abraham was promised that he took hold of and he believed in. So in a way, I could end there. I could say, right, those verses speak for themselves. We know that we can hope in God. But I want to today explore a little bit about what this hope looks like in the context of our much more complex, messy, and unstraightforward lives. We as Christians know that we can hold on to hope. We know that we can hold on to our hope of salvation. But what about today? What about the times that we cannot hold on to hope that hope that, as my dad used to say, this too will pass, when we're in a time that it seems like it will never end? What if uh, maybe we don't doubt our salvation, but we do feel that what we are in is actually completely hopeless? And what if hoping is something that is too much, because what we're asking for is something that we long for so much that to be told no is unbearable, so it's actually easier not to ask? And what if our circumstances are so hard that actually we just have to come to terms with today and by kind of believing that God is going to change it makes that impossible? And then what if we find ourselves in a place that is simply so dark we cannot see any light or any hope? When I was three, my dad was diagnosed with MS. This had a profound effect on us as a family and also the lens through which I experienced my life. When I was 16, my parents came to faith. And then within probably a year, my sister and I also became Christians. And I know now that that is a kind of a miraculous thing. At the time, I just assumed that's what happened. That people came, you know, that my parents became Christians and I became a Christian. Then I came home and said, we pray for my sister. My sister became a Christian. But actually, I know it was a miraculous thing. And I really know that God took us as a family to prepare us for what was to come. I know that as a family our faith made it possible to bear what was ahead. And I know that through my dad's illness, God transformed him. He became someone who was able to see beauty and humanity in everybody. From his carers to a consultant to a best friend, there were no barriers in his mind. He made everybody feel seen and heard and valued. But I also know that MS is a wicked, horrible disease that shows no mercy. There is nothing good in it. And yet God created beauty in the midst of it. In July 2002, at the age of 57, my dad died. And now that I am 48, I can see even more how many years we lost and he lost, because it's not that far away for me. Immediately after his death, I suddenly had this realisation that I had never actually asked for him to be healed. Not Not only not totally healed, but even that the MS would just stop in its tracks. And I was haunted for some time by a huge guilt. And as a kind of, in a kind of childlike way, I was like, well, only, if I'd only asked, maybe it would have been different. And I couldn't really understand, how did it not even occur to me? Why didn't I ask? 
And it was only as I kind of explored that and kind of allowed myself to think that through that I thought that actually it was because we had to cope with what each day had ahead of it. MS brings constant loss. You lose your weight, you know, you suddenly you can't walk and you can't eat, you can't swallow, you can't... So actually we had to come to terms with that as a family and we needed to be able to do that and to live through that with God's grace. Whilst he was living, we also needed to prepare ourselves for the fact that he was going to die because actually he needed us to do that as well. Otherwise, he would have been alone in that truth. I believe that if we had spent our whole time focusing on the idea that he was going to be healed, that we would have missed a huge amount of what God was doing in the day-to-day. But I also worship a God who does miracles and a God who can heal and a God who is much bigger than multiple sclerosis. So I think now that perhaps what I needed at the time, and I had many friends who supported me, but was someone who would just say, actually, do you know what? I will have the audacity to ask God to heal your dad. I will do that for you so that you can live the day to day. Who knows what's going to happen? There are no guarantees because things are not always black and white. But I'm going to hold that hope for you so that you can allow God to do the things that he needs to do through you as a family in the day to day. In more recent times, my daughter Jess was really very, very unwell with anorexia. And as a parent, as a mum, this brought absolute pure terror. In my journal at the time, I wrote, My baby is disappearing in my arms, slowly melting away, and I cannot stop it. And then, when did the lights go out? How quickly my eyes have become accustomed to the dark. We were extremely blessed to have very, very good support from CAMS. And this included a family therapist called Esther, who we later, in all reality, say is an angel who came into our lives. She came in the form of a Christian Nigerian woman who spoke faith and hope into a, a time when we could not see it. And on a particular day, for some reason, I didn't usually see her on my own, but I did see her on my own, and she asked me how I was, and I was very honest, and I said, I am absolutely gripped by fear. And she was really firm with me. She said, if you are afraid, how much more terrified is Jess? You must stand up to the fear and tell it that it has no place. You must hold the hope for her. It is your job because you are her mother. And I realized that in that relationship, I was not the child. And I did what she, was said, what she said, but I could only do it because I had people around me holding the hope for me. I had people like Judith Anns and Jill Jennings. And whenever I used to meet with Jill, she'd say, I am praying for pure and perfect healing. And I would be praying that we would just get through the next meal and possibly the next day. There are also times in some of our lives where we find ourselves in a place that is so dark we cannot see the light where the external things perhaps are creating that, or sometimes it's internal things that mean that we simply cannot see the hope that we know in our heads is there. And as Christians, we are not immune to these times. And we, I think, sometimes don't allow ourselves or allow one another to go through them and somehow make ourselves feel that we should know better, that actually if we know God's hope, we shouldn't feel like that. But we do. And actually, the Bible tells us we will go to those places. In Psalm 23, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then Psalm 139 says, If I make my bed in the depths. Well, if we're making a bed, I feel like that's a place that we are going to stay for a while. 
But the second part of these verses is also really important. It's vital because it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And then even if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. That reality is true, but sometimes in reality, we can't see it. We don't see that light and we feel completely alone and without hope and in despair. And if this happens to somebody close to you, I personally think it's really unhelpful for us just to say, well, do you know what? You need to see the light. You need to know God's hope. Because at that time, they can't. Sometimes we just have to sit with people in the darkness and say, I am staying here with you. And I can see that you can, all you can feel is fear and despair. But I am holding on to the light. I am holding on to hope. I am trusting in God's promises and his love for you. So, in conclusion, I want to leave us with three thoughts. Let us be a community of people in which we give one another permission to say, I am not all right. To say, I cannot do this right now, and I need somebody to hold the hope on my behalf. Secondly, let us be people who allow ourselves to receive hope from others, so that even if all I can see is impenetrable darkness, I do not let this consume the fact that you can see God's love and hope. And then finally, let us be people who have eyes and hearts that see the needs in one another. There's a quote from Desmond Tutu, which is, hope is being able to see light despite of all the darkness. Let us be ready to hold the light for those who cannot. Jane, bless you. That was that was that was great. You can go sit down. <laughs> that's fine. I, I want us just to pause on that a little bit because that that's that's powerful, isn't it? Uh, and and I I want to just allow that to be earthed because those are some really when 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 Jane shared that with me early in the week and I, I obviously with my blindness and stuff I'm going oh I know that truth uh, and. What's clearly on Jane is, well, what's in your head is one thing, but it's how do you live it out? And those three challenges is, can we be a community where we can say, do you know what? I'm just in the dark. I need to be real. We don't smack a smiley face. Everything's fine. But we can be honest. We're also a community that sits down with people. And we're an honest, a, a community that's honest. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I want to thank you that that the truth is, Jesus, that you came to save the world. That you are our hope. You are our salvation. You are our rock. Even when we don't see it, don't feel it, that does not change who you are. I thank you for your love to Jane and her family. I thank you for the truth that you can use all things for your glory. Father, I pray that we might be open as well. Father, for those of us right now who are just struggling with hope, that we may have people around us. But God, we look to you. Will you stir? Will you change us? Will you meet with us? And we thank you, God, that you understand 
the complexity of our lives. And you still speak peace into those. Amen. One of the uh, things of having these 10 talks is we're, we're going to have some real powerful truths. And then the truths, then you hear the next person speak and it's going to be a, a very different truth. It's still a truth of God and it's still a, a powerful truth. And, uh, and also 10 minutes in some ways doesn't seem a long time, but actually a lot can be packed into that. And uh, we as a church, we, we want to just hear the truths of God and, and not just to fill our heads with things that tickle our minds, but things that impact our hearts. The, the second person who's going to speak uh, this morning is, is Bev. I know many of you will have bumped into Bev. Uh, she is on placement here from Moreland's um, Bible College. She's, she's studying there. And uh, we were linked up with her as a placement. And we are so blessed to have her. If you've met her, you'll know that you're blessed to have her. And uh, she's only been with us for, what, six months now. And yet it feels like she's been with us for a lot longer than that. So, um, Bev, can I welcome you up? To, to come and uh, share what God's placed on your heart. And I want to pray for you as well. Is that okay? Sure. Excellent. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for Bev. Thank you for uh, her love for you and your love for her. Father, I want to thank you that what she, she has brought to us as a church in such a short time, her willingness to share. And Father, I know that you, you've placed a real passion of Jesus in her heart. And uh, as she shares that this morning, I pray that, that we may be impacted as well. Amen. Amen. That's it. Good morning, church. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so excited to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mark, for giving me the opportunity to share the word of God. It's something that I do not take lightly. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, can you turn to the book of John? I'm going to be reading from John 3, verse 1 to 8. Okay. John 3, verse 1 to 8. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit to the spirit. 
You should not be surprised by me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. My fellow brothers and sisters, today I'm going to be talking about the most important decision that you ever have to make in your life. This decision does not only affect how you live your life here and now, but it also affects your eternity. The subject matter is about salvation, about being born again. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And the Bible tells us that Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. Some theologians are of the opinion that the reason why Nicodemus went to Jesus at night was because he feared being thrown out of the synagogue by his peers. A bit like some of us, really, when we don't want our neighbors, our friends, or maybe even family members to know that we are Christians. And we do our Jesus thing on the side. So there's an interesting conversation that transpires between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus this truth. That Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus meant. Through all the scriptures, we know that Jesus uses metaphors such as, I am the bread of life. I am the living waters. I am the true vine. And when he said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again, he meant salvation. The Greek word for again in the born again means anathen. And it's the same as above. So born from God. Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. The well-known evangelist, as well as uh, founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, he described being born again as a vast inward change that takes place in the soul as the works of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is invisible. We cannot um, predict when it's going to happen. We cannot plan it. It's something that's divine. Billy Graham, also a well-known evangelist who led millions of people to Christ. I believe it's over three million that were led to Christ, described that when someone is born again, their will, their affections, their disposition, their desire changes. There's an inward change within this person. There's purpose in life. 
There's a reason to live. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens then when someone gets born again? The Holy Spirit goes in and lives in this person. And there's a transformation that takes place. It is a transformation which I personally experienced when I got born again. I've shared my testimony before at Oasis. So if I'm going to say something that you've heard before, it's okay. I won't say too much or else I'll be here all day. I will tell you though that when I did mention my, shared my testimony at Oasis, John Blakeman was going to adopt me but he decided to change his mind after he heard my testimony. <laughs> it's okay, I can say this. I know he's not here this morning. <laughs> I was a rebellious teenager. Please hear me well. I'm not advocating for that. I was off the rails. As a result of my rebelliousness, I became an unmarried teenage mom. Life was tough. I had loving parents, loving family, had a privileged upbringing according to the world standards. I, however, was not raised as a Christian. And I didn't get saved until nearly the age of 30. Time wasted, doing foolish things. Time wasted, staring my own ship Steering it into the opposite direction of the will of the Lord. I got shipwrecked several times. But no one is beyond redemption. Amen, church. No one is beyond redemption. I found Jesus and my life was completely transformed. You see, God does not look to see where you've been. Or even what you even did just before you came here to church. God loves us as we are. And he takes us as we are. All you just need is to have a heart to believe. That Jesus is the son of God. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he rose on the third day. Hallelujah. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Amen, church. So no one is beyond redemption. Don't write people off. If there are people in your life whom you're praying for and probably been praying for years and years and years and you're not seeing a change, don't give up. It will come to pass. We have a God of hope, as Jane mentioned, and there is hope in Christ. I wasn't born in this country. I'm a foreigner, though I now have British citizenship, which I'm very pleased of. But before I was granted that status, I had to go through several processes. Number one, I had to prove that I've got a skill which is worth me staying in this country, a skill to serve to the, to the nation. Check, I'm a trained nurse. Number two, I had to prove that I'm making a financial contribution to the economy of the country. Paid my taxes. Number three, I had to study a very hard test 
life in the UK tests and pass that test. And not only that, I also had to prove that I can speak English, read and write and understand it. I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I still need to learn how to speak the proper Queen's English, have cream tea and drink with my pinky out. I'll get there one day. I'm at Waypoint Church. There are some very eloquent people here, so I will get there. But not only that, church, I had to have a criminal record check. Quite right, too. So you're all right in here this morning. You're safe. On top of that, I was nearly left bankrupt because I had to pay thousands and thousands of pounds to the home office in able to be granted this status. But I have good news for you. In the kingdom of God, for you to be granted status in the kingdom of God, church, you do not have to pay any money up front. You do not have to go through certain steps. Amen? The price was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for you and I so that we can be in a relationship with our Father. For God so loved the world. The famous verse, it was out of love that God sacrificed his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. Salvation is a free gift. God does not wait for us to be righteous before we can have a relationship with him. We do not have to wait to have our lives all together or have our lives perfect before we can run to Christ. Run to him as you are with all of your fears and your failures or your human success, whatever you've done in the past. But Nicodemus, as Jesus said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Perhaps someone is here and is asking, well, Bev, how do I get born again? You believe that Jesus is the son of God. You believe that he died on the cross for our sins. You believe that he rose on the third day. You repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and turn to God and start a new life in Jesus. Amen? I want to challenge you this morning, church. I have two questions. Does being a regular churchgoer guarantee your salvation? Does being born and raised in church guarantee your salvation? Jesus is very clear on this. It's not my words. It's the word of God. Jesus said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I would like to extend this invitation if we can all bow our heads and close our eyes.
to give some space and privacy for others. This is not about what your husband or your wife or whoever is sitting next to you is going to think. But this is about you and God. Where do you stand? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Do you have a personal relationship with him? It's only you and God who know the truth. If there's anyone in this room today who would like to receive the free gift of salvation, who would like to ask Jesus to be Lord of their life, And let him be the captain of your sheep. Can you raise your hand please? Is there anyone or are we all happy with where we stand with God? Okay, I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whom you sent to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that we all have a relationship with him in here. Lord, we just want to commit our lives to you and ask you to have your way in our lives. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. We acknowledge that we are useless without you. We are powerless without you. And we surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.